Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Rock and Road podcast of the second series. On this week's edition, I will review the new Range Rover Sport. I'll be speaking to my special guest this week, the editor of Ride magazine with a rather cool name, Matt Wildy, and I'll bring you some album recommendations. But first, that Range Rover. I'm currently sitting in a beautiful Range Rover Sport. This is a D300. It's a three litre diesel, mild hybrid. It produces 300 horsepower and will do 0 to 60 in 6.9 seconds. So it's not slow considering it's a very big car. It feels like I'm sitting in a tank, but a very luxurious tank, I might add. It can achieve acclaimed 34 miles per gallon. Not brilliant for a diesel or a hybrid, but considerably better than the V8 counterparts. This particular model is painted in a Firenze red. Very striking, but it costs an extra £895. In fact, this particular car costs £70,690 on the road. This one is also the HSE trim, so even more features such as window leather and terrain response. If you don't like this colour, it's actually got eight new colours to choose from, including, check out these posh names, tourmaline brown, amethyst grey purple and petrolix blue. Let's take it out for a drive. Well, immediately the centre console is very impressive. Everything is a glass screen with complete touchscreen technology. Even the aircon, everything down the middle here is beautiful. Controlling the wing mirrors is also a little mini touchscreen on the right-hand side of the door. Love that. Let's put it into drive. Well, the seating position is fantastic, really high up. And I've said before in all the other podcasts, I really like being high up. The steering wheel has also got several controls on it, including for the infotainment system, all again done on little miniature touch screens, no sort of physical buttons. Everything is LED screens, which is fantastic. Dashboard looks amazing with a picture of the car in the middle. It shows you if there's a door open or anything that's wrong with the car, it shows up in the dashboard in front of you. Just pulled away at the lights and it certainly shifts. Right, let's get somewhere where I can go a bit faster. I think the fact that you're high up, mixed with what feels like real luxury around you, makes you feel like you're a bit superior on the road. And I'm not sure if that's a good feeling or not, but I feel a bit like arrogant. Like, look at me, I'm in this big posh car. Um, which uh, is probably not a good thing, but it doesn't half feel luxurious. You can barely feel any of the ridges in the road, lumps of tarmac that are uneven. It just glides over. Oh, and it's got little bleepers as well. It tells you if there's a speed camera coming up. I love all the combination of the black interior here with absolutely loads of chrome surrounding every bit of detail and then looking out onto that beautiful red bonnet which extends a long way it has a reverse parking camera no cameras at the front or sides though just at the back it does have sensors at the front and sides 
but not uh, actual cameras. The infotainment system um, at the top here actually looks the same as the one in the Jaguar because of course they're all connected now, Jaguar Land Rover. So that bit uh, feels familiar to me, but it's the lower section of the console that's new to me. With the aircon, heated seats, all of that is done on a new touchscreen, which is brilliant. It's got a new inline Ingenium diesel engine providing the performance of a V8. This is what is described as a clean diesel engine. Now I've avoided diesel engines the last few years living in London because there's all kinds of penalties. Uh, so manufacturers are looking at ways of improving diesel and this is one of them. It meets the driving emissions step two standards. It's what they call a mild hybrid and it's got a plug-in hybrid electric part of it which can drive up to 25 miles in full electric mode with zero tailpipe emissions. In terms of charging, that can take less than three hours from a wall box or public charging point and then seven and a half hours with a regular mode two cable. This is what we found out with the Harley-Davidson motorbike. I was like, oh, it won't take long to charge. But that's only at one of the official charging points, not where you just plug it in. It has a cabin air ionisation system with a purify button on the touchscreen. Some good gadgets. Let's have a look at the outside. At night time, when you press the key button, a little picture of a Range Rover is displayed on the ground, which is very cute. One thing I found getting in and out of the car is the doors are really low. So if you're parked next to a curb, the chances are quite high that you're going to scrape the bottom of that door. I've done it twice now, don't tell Range Rover. But outside of the car, well, you've got the stunning red. The contrasting colours are the chrome and the black. I love the boxy squareness of it. But it looks lovely. Well, let's see what the kids think. I'm going to pick them up from school. I'm in the car with Harley. Harley, what do you think of the Range Rover? Well, um, it's very big. Is that your overall impression? Yeah. <laughs> it is huge, isn't it? Is there anything that you like about the dashboard area in this middle console? It's very technological. I've noticed that with most of the cars we've had now, that seems to be as standard. Is there anything extra with this one you think's a bit special? Well, like, there's less buttons and more, like, screens. And, like, one of the screens, it, like, can adjust to, like, it's facing, like, straight forward or, like, diagonal, which is really cool. Yeah, that when you put the car on, that one kind of zooms forward a little bit, which is quite nice. Let's have a look at some of the compartments. So if you slide a slider back there, you've got two holders for cups. And then inside here, two USB points, a cigarette lighter, plenty of storage, and a micro SIM point. Um, what that's for? Music? Or, like, if you want to upload your brain into the car. Well, I think that'll be... By the time you're doing your own podcast, they'll be onto that. Yes. Well, let's see what Dexter thinks next. Picked up Dexter from school now. Dexter, how was school? Really good. Why was it so good? Because we get to play football and I won. Woohoo! What do you think of this car? Excellent. What is it that you like about it? The screen, the top comes off. It's really nice. Yeah, the panoramic roof. It doesn't come off, but it's, it's glass. Let's open it now. What else, what else do you like? It's all amazing. I just can't believe it. He's currently stuffing his face with rice cakes. Chocolate covered rice cakes, I might add. Yeah. After his football match. Um, but do you like being high up, Dexter? Because we're quite high in this car. Yeah, we are. Do you like that? Yeah. What do you think about the colour of this car, Dexter? And Harley? Um, well, I'm going to have to agree with Dex's very descriptive and, um, you know, large, large answer. Uh, it's red. <laughs>
Thank you so much for your input, boys. It's it's absolutely invaluable. What's that supposed to mean? Invaluable blow. Look it up when you're older. So that was the Range Rover Sport D300 HSE costing just over £67,000 on the road and that was the mild hybrid electric vehicle version. So mainly diesel but you can use a little bit of electric power as well which is a big improvement. Now on to my special guest. Welcome to the podcast Matt Wildy, editor of Ride Magazine. Hi Matt. Hi Leona, how's it going? Yeah really good thanks, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad at all. I'm, uh, I'm actually in, uh, I'm in the office today for one of the first times since this whole COVID thing happened. It's You're a, in it's an a really office. Wow. Actually, in an office, like a, <laughs> like a real person. I'm sort of in a sea of empty desks at the moment. It's, I don't know really whether I'm in a media company or or the Marie Celeste at the moment. But yeah, it's 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 good. It's not, at least it's nice and quiet, so I can get on some work. That's awesome. Now tell us about the magazine. Right, well, Ride is the mag that is consumer's champion of motorcycle mags, really. It's designed to help you in every sort of aspect of your motorcycling life, whether that's helping you choose the best value kit and kit that actually works, whether it's helping you choose a brilliant used or new bike, or, you know, really helping you find great places to ride your bike, whether that's a, a huge tour that's like a sort of bucket list ticking off thing, or you know, a great blast on a Sunday. It, it, it's designed to help you with every, every aspect of your bike in life, which is a, it's a, means it's a great thing to work on, really, because there's lots of variety. And tell us about your role. Well, my role is I'm the editor of the magazine, which, which is great, really. I, I decide the content that goes in the mag, uh, the tone for it, and really the agenda that we set within the sort of motorcycle magazine media, which is, which is great. It's a really enjoyable thing to do. And to be honest, it's a bit of a dream come true. I've, I've been reading bike magazines since I was a kid and I quit my engineering course to, to learn to become a bike journalist. And so to actually do it and to edit one of the magazines that I used to read 20 years ago is just a dream come true, to be honest. That is so cool, actually. What an amazing job. Um, is there anything about the, uh, about the magazine that's coming up, say the next edition, that you, you think we should know about? To give us an well, example. Well, yeah, the, ne- the next couple of issues, the one that's on sale at the moment is really your sort of new season special for, for getting the most out of biking. So we've got some wonderful routes for people to go on. We've got a great sort of riding refresher because the, the problem at the moment is with a lot of motorcyclists. We've all, been, uh, we've all been out of action for a long time because of COVID. And if you think of all the, all the restrictions, that we've, which have only just lifted, it's only now that bikers are getting back on their bikes and getting out there. And the whole point of this issue is to try and help people get the most they can from their sort of biking year so we, we explain exactly what you can and can't do within the current regulations how you can get the most of the current situation and which events you're likely to be able to go to as well so there's loads of good stuff yeah in that's there. true isn't it it's 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 a difficult time for bikers at the moment because we're all chomping at the bit to get going again and really it's it's still a it's still a bit difficult there's, there's still not everything's open we don't really know what's going on and and we're, we're just trying to alleviate that and trying to help people yeah, because there was the Unlock Your Freedom campaign, which was sort of promoting bikers and saying, well, at least that's one way of travelling that you're not infecting anybody because you're in your own little bubble, literally. I think, I think it's such a good idea. I think it's, obviously, it's, it, the, the technology that we've got at the moment means that not everyone has to commute in the way they have to. And I think that's obviously going to be something that, that, change, that, that changes with, you know, that, that comes out of this, this whole COVID thing. But for some of us, commuting is, is unavoidable. And I think taking a bike is great. I mean... One thing I'd say to anyone out there who's, you know, considering riding a bike or not, give it a go because you'll find it's a real sort of economical, empowering, enjoyable way to get around. And 
I suspect you'll end up being hooked because it's just, it's just, I think it's the best thing you can ever do, to be honest. Is there anything in the magazine for new bikers or people who just are just thinking about it for the first time? Yeah, we, we, we try, the whole tone of the magazine is meant to be inclusive. We, we, we try and make sure, I mean, it's one of the things that I loved about Ride when I was a new biker is that it really helped me in, in all aspects of biking. So we'd have lots of stuff about riding in there. There's always lots of riding skills features. We'd, we'd have lots of real simple, we have lots of sort of simplified buying guides to help people buy their first bike and to help them choose that. And we have, we have lots of stuff in there. The, the, whole, the whole sort of tone of the magazine is that we can appeal to, to new riders as much as experts. And, and really that's, that's the whole point of motorcycling. I don't, I, don't, I don't want anyone to feel excluded from, from what we do. Yeah. And is it a monthly magazine? Yes, yes. We're out every month, the second week of every month. So magazines with the, you know, obviously with the internet, they have struggled a little bit, but Ride's still going strong. Yeah, we're, we're the best selling on the newsstand and we're, we're one of the best selling on subscriptions. And one of the good things as well is over the last few years, we've really sort of expanded our, uh, sort, of, our sort of digital portfolio. So we're, we're available on many different digital editions. And that we've also got our, our publishing company, Bauer, has this really good app called Bikes Unlimited, which for a, for a set fee each month, I think it's five ninety nine, you can subscribe to every single Bauer motorcycle magazine digitally. So that's Ride, but also Bike, MCN, Practical Sports Bikes and Classic Bike. And you can just you can view those on your tablet or on your iPhone. And it's a really good way of, of people being able to access it if you can't uh, if you can't or don't want to step out or head out to the newsagents. That is so cool. And as somebody who also works for Bauer on Absolute Radio, I don't think I realised we had that many bike magazines. We have a huge amount of them. I remember, I remember 20 years ago when I first set foot in this building, Media House in Peterborough, and all the, all the motorcycle magazines were laid out in front of me on a giant floor. I was just thinking, flipping heck. And, <laughs> and it, still, it still feels a bit like that now, even if I'm the only person in the office. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but going back to when you started out, obviously um, you're a biker, that's why you got wanted to be a biker journalist. How did you get into bikes and how old were you? So it all came about, I, I, used, to, I used to race carts when I was a kid. I, I wanted to be the next sort of, next sort of Nigel Mansell at the time. Oh, wow. And, um, it all, unfortunately, my dad's business went down the chute, so I was, I was unable to continue with that. But we had a little bit of left, money left over from buying the go-kart, and I bought a crashed Honda CB100N, which is like a little commuter bike, yeah. from, a, from a local bike shop, and, and fixed it up, and started riding it around some of the local fields, obviously with permission of the farmers. And I just loved it, and it just felt, uh, just that first time I rode a bike, I just that sense of control and that sense of... of How old of were you at that point? I think I was 13 at the time and yeah. then it was just it was just my life from there on in really and obviously did that whole thing where when I was 16 got a 50cc bike 17 a, a 125 it was it was a little bit easier to get you tested in in those days than then moved my way up um, and just decided that, that was what I wanted to do with my life so I sort of dedicated myself to a degree in journalism as well as keeping on with the biking and then about 20 years ago got a uh, got a chance to uh, work on motorcycle news as a sort of junior on the road test desk which was just like absolute heaven um, <laughs> had to had to slightly lie on my application about my experience to get through and then <laughs> and then had to do uh, had to do a riding test with a very well-known uh, road tester at the time called Trevor Franklin where basically I just sort of survived and I don't think he noticed how hairy it was and I got the job and then Amazing. spent the next sort of next sort of year crashing bikes until I learned how to do it properly Amazing. so yeah it was it was it was it was brilliant times and I was very lucky at the time because to get on such a good title as motorcycle news at that point was just very good 
to learn things and yeah just went from there really and, and since then worked on various other magazines I was, I was the editor of performance bikes magazine which is which was a magazine that was dedicated to sort of beautiful high performance bikes which was just brilliant and then went away worked for him and get a bit more and then started on ride about two or three years ago and yeah it's just been a it's I, I feel i feel very fortunate there's been i'd recommend if anyone if anyone wants to sort of chase that dream of being a bike journalist they should give it a go it's not insurmountable you can do it if you dedicate yourself in the right way and and put yourself forward to people nice one matt and what are you riding at the moment so at the moment i'm riding a ktm 1290 adventure s which is like a sort of giant adventure bike it's sort of the most ad technologically advanced sort of probably the most powerful adventure bike around um it's a ridiculously powerful advanced thing it's huge fun so it's quite a challenge to ride um yeah it's great you should have a go on it <laughs> has it got a reverse gear it hasn't got a reverse gear but it's got um, it's got some really novel technology such as adaptive cruise control, which basically has a radar on the front of the bike. So once you set the cruise control, it will speed up and slow down to keep a constant gap to the car in front, which takes a bit of getting used to. But it's you know it's been on cars for a few years. But to to see that on a bike, I think this yeah. is the first year. This and the the, the Ducati Multistrada V4 are the first first bikes to have it. So yeah, that's been quite a novel thing to do. It's absolutely packed with tech to a point where. I've never seen a bike that's full of as, as many sort of advanced features as this. It's great. And it's a real contrast to the other two bikes in my garage. Oh, yes. I was going to say, you're going to have more than one. I, all my biker friends have more than one bike. What are the other two? You see, I think three is the magic number for bikes. I think <laughs> if you have three bikes, you can, you can cater for every sort of instance. So I've got a Yamaha R1, which is a 20-year-old sort of classic sports bike, which I've restored over the last few years, which is, which is just, just my pride and joy. And I've got a dirt bike as well. I, I love trail riding and getting out in the, getting out in the countryside. I'm very lucky there's loads, of, there's loads of green lanes around mine. I've got a few friends that also, also do a bit of green laning. So according to my wife, I spend quite a lot of time in forests with middle-aged men. But um, I think it's actually a bit less dodgy than that. And um, do you ever use an actual car? Do you ever go on four wheels? Yes, I do. I'm a, oh, to be honest, I'm a complete petrol head. So we've got a very boring Volkswagen Golf and I've just imported a uh, massive family bus from Japan that, uh, that is, uh, yeah, it's quite a cool thing. It, it talks to me in Japanese every time I switch A family on. bus? How many seats is that? It's an eight-seater. So we've only, we've only got two kids, but we fold the back <laughs> up and put mountain bikes in it and go camping and, yeah, it's cool. And it's got cool. tellies for the kids to watch and, yeah, it's a good thing. I'm a little bit jealous. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> You mentioned that you're a petrol head. How do you feel about all these electric vehicles that are coming along? You see, it's really easy to dismiss electric bikes until you get a chance to ride one. And there's a lot going for them. So they, they've got the most beautiful instant response as soon as you get on. As soon as you touch the throttle, they just drive. You don't have to muck about with gears. You don't have to muck about with clutches. They've just, they've just, they've just got a real sort of lovely, lovely uh, thing, which, as you know from riding the, uh, riding the Harley Livewire, um, and I think, they're, I think they're wonderful things. I think they, they need to be developed further. I mean, there's, there's weaknesses at the moment with their range. They just don't go far enough for a, lot of, for a lot of what motorcyclists currently do with bikes, which is, you know, head off for a 200, 300 mile day. They don't do that. But, and they're a bit heavy at the moment as well. But that technology is advancing all the time. And I could see a point in 10 years time where an electric bike will have decent range and be light enough that people won't be intimidated by it or worry about dropping it and I think then we're going to end up in a point where they're a viable alternative but they don't sound as good you do sound a bit like I was going to say ride. what do you think you should they should do about the sound because it's not just the sound it feels nice for us as a rider but what about so people can hear you 
Well, you see, this is a really interesting thing. Um, we had a letter from a reader about this the other day. We're, we, have a, we have a thing in the front of the magazine called Ride Investigates, which is, which is a bit of sort of investigative journalism each month. Um, and as part of it, one of the things we've got planned for the future is actually to test the noise of how a, mo how a car driver or a pedestrian hears an electric bike compared to a petrol petrol powered bike um, and it's a really interesting thing because I think in some circumstances it's not too much of a problem so I think on on main roads it won't be a bit of a problem but how did you find it riding around London with the uh, with the live wire did you find people stepped out in front of you um, it does make a bit of a noise it kind of goes that sort of high-pitched kind of sound uh, but obviously nowhere near as much as the petrol engine um, somebody did on a quiet road did turn their head so they heard me, heard me coming. So I'm not too concerned about that, but it's usually the first question people ask me. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I don't think it's going to... That's part of the reason we wanted this investigation is to see, see whether it's a problem or not. I suspect it. I think it's one of those things that people, people think is going to be a problem. I think, I think the bigger problem is just going to be convincing bikers to, to give one a go because that's, that's going to be the hard thing because, as you know, part of the attraction of most bikers is the way it sounds and suddenly you've got something that does sound a little bit like a radio-controlled car. Can't they, um, you know, simulate some fake sounds? Because I was in this uh, Porsche, um, electric Porsche, and there was a button to enhance the sound. I think it'd be a good idea. To, to be honest, you could probably just use my little boy. He spends most of his time making motorbike noises. <laughs> We've solved the problems here, Matt. I think that's the best thing to do. I think a six-year-old motorbike-obsessed small child is, is the way forward for, for electric bike noise. <laughs> that is absolutely perfect. Well, Matt, thank you for joining me on the podcast. It's um, a pleasure. And it's been great to talk to you. When's the next edition of Ride Out? So we're just finishing it at the moment. It goes to the printers on Friday and goes on sale in the second week of May, which is going to be our Adventure Bike Special, which is our annual bumper issue. So it's 140 pages. So it's, it's killing me putting it together at the moment. There's a lot to do and that I'm not having lot, much sleep. It? And but if you want to have there. a quick look about Ride, is it just ride.co.uk? That's correct. And uh, if, you, if you want to uh, look at getting a digital edition, there's plenty of, you know, we're available on all the digital platforms on uh, Google Play and on the, Apple, on the Apple App Store. If you look for Bikes Unlimited on that, you can, you can see everything that you need. OK, Matt, thank you very much. And good luck with the riding. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Now on to my album recommendations and Royal Blood have a new album out and it's called Typhoons. It's just been released and what I love about Royal Blood, well there's a few things. One of them is they're from Brighton, which as you may know is one of my favourite places. But more importantly, these guys produce a massive rock sound but there's only two of them. And that is Mike Kerr, who's on vocals and bass, and Ben Thatcher on drums. So how do they get that great big sound? Well, it's down to Mike and his unique bass playing technique. He uses various effects pedals and multiple amps to make his bass guitar sound like a standard electric guitar and bass at the same time. I don't know how he does it, but it is incredible. Their first album came out in 2014, and they're now on to their third, Typhoons. The first three singles from it have been amazing. Trouble's Coming, Typhoons and Limbo. And check out all the amazing album tracks as well. It's out now. It's Royal Blood with Typhoons. Another album just out is The Coral, who are back with a new double album called Coral Island. They've been around since the 90s. They had some massive hits like Dreaming of You, Pass It On. They won all kinds of awards over the years. But they've been a little bit quiet recently, so good to have them back. Coral Island is now out. 
If you want a classic album, one I want to recommend to you this week is Deep Purple's Made in Japan. That's probably the best live album ever, and it features an incredible version of Highway Star. The energy in that song is mind-blowing. It features one of the best organ solos of all time from the late John Lord, who I was lucky enough to meet and interview once, on this giant Hammond organ. And then one of my favourite guitar solos of all time from my favourite guitarist, I think second favourite, Richie Blackmore. My favourite, by the way, is Tony Iommi, Black Sabbath. Uh, but Richie Blackmore's guitar solo and Highway Star, this live version, is incredible. Also check out Side 4, because that side is literally just one song called Space Trucking, which you have to experience. They do a live version of Smoke on the Water, by the way, as well, which is so superior to the rather dull studio version you often hear on the radio. The live version is the best. Ditch the studio one, only listen to this one. The album is called Made in Japan by Deep Purple. Well, that is it from the podcast this week. And in fact, this series, I've done two series of the Rock and Road podcast. Thank you to my new editor, Ross Hoare. Also, thank you to you for listening and taking part in any way that you may do so, even if it's just with your ears. But if you get involved in the socials as well, that's great at Rock and Road Pod on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Series three has got some very exciting things lined up and it will be back very soon. Thank you for listening.